Hi, it's Dale Bader, and I'm glad you joined us again for this edition of Focus on Fertility. Today, we're joined once again by Medical Director of MCR and Fertility, Dr. Peter Ollering, and we're talking on the topic of DOR, or Diminished Ovarian Reserve, or Low Ovarian Reserve. And Dr. Ollering, I guess let's start it out. What exactly is DOR? <laughs> Thanks, Dale. Uh, always a pleasure. And uh, DOR, uh, man, it's, it's a broad subject. But in essence, um, it's an ovarian dysfunction that is hallmarked by uh, a loss of ovarian follicles or eggs, basically. So follicles uh, are little fluid-filled sacs visible in the ovaries with ultrasonography. And uh, as the numbers of these follicles diminishes, then uh, we call that declining or diminishing ovarian reserve. It's really the arch enemy in the world of fertility just because we have uh, essentially no way to manage or treat uh, loss of follicles and eggs. Uh, it, it can be represented by aging, but it's a lot more complicated than that. But that's kind of a, a nutshell about DOR. It goes under the, a lot of different names, as you mentioned, like low ovarian reserve, diminished ovarian reserve, um, you know, premenopause, perimenopause. These are terms that are used out in the general public. Uh, but they all convey the same thing. Premature ovarian failure is another one I've heard over the years. So these are all terms that just are trying to represent the idea of loss of follicles and eggs. How impactful is DOR? Is this becoming a uh, trend, or is this something relatively new, or is this just uh, something we're seeing more on uh, social media and the discussion boards? Uh, well, it, it, it really is a, a medical entity that we've just become more familiar with over the past 15 years, so it's really hard to say um, is it more prevalent uh, or common than it was 20 years ago. We just don't know. We, I, I personally get the impression that it is more prevalent than it used to be, but it's just very hard to track that. Um, that said, um, it, it really is a major impact in the world of uh, fertility for couples, and it's the female counterpart of uh, low sperm that we see on uh, the guy's side. So it really represents an ovarian dysfunction, and the ovary just doesn't behave and act properly due to this uh, low numbers of follicles and eggs. So on the male side, we see low sperm count, but um, it, you know that represents a testicular dysfunction. <laughs> I mean, that's a, for another time, I'm sure, to talk about that, but... You know, in the context of ovarian uh, factors, I mean, this is just a major thing because, you know, we can't create more eggs. We can't make more. The medications that we use don't, uh, don't do that. They basically get the follicles that are present to grow, and they stimulate the follicles. That's what these medications that we use, like Clomid or injectable medications, but they don't create more. That's a big problem. So it, it has a major impact on uh, fertility in general for any couple. Is DOR and egg quality uh, related together, or are they totally separate? So if I, my wife is told she has diminished ovarian reserve, does that mean necessarily not only does she have less eggs, but are they of poor quality? Yeah, that, that, that really is a great question, but uh, they, they're often lumped together, the quantity and quality, but they're really two sides of the same coin. And, you know, Quality is more related to age factors. So we know there's a, an influence of age. I think everybody really knows that, that there's this correlation of, 
uh, egg quality, uh, meaning the DNA integrity or, or the potential that any given egg has to make a baby, you know, that is related uh, and correlated to age. I think everybody understands that the probability of, of uh, having a successful pregnancy uh, in someone who's 30 years old is different than in someone who's 40. So we all understand that. But uh, I think that, unfortunately, um, there there is this misperception that um, the, the quantity and quality go together. It seems like it sometimes uh, when one doesn't have very many follicles or eggs just because it's harder to get to the one that actually works. But uh, in general, you know, quality and quantity are really two separate issues. And you had mentioned earlier that uh, DOR kind of comes along with the aging process for the female and their biological clock. So is DOR basically a, a older woman's struggle issue, or is this also impactful on other individuals at different ages? Yeah, that, that's a great question, too, and it kind of goes into the idea that you were asking earlier about, um, you know, is it something that we see more commonly? I think we, I would guess that we do see it more commonly because we're better at diagnosing the problem and putting it in perspective because we, we all do recognize, as you point out, that um, the, the number of follicles uh, and eggs diminishes as we get older. So, there, again, there is this correlation of uh, age to diminished ovarian reserve, but it is a very prevalent problem in patients under the age of 35 as well. We see this all the time, and that's where we've now kind of recognized that there is uh, age-related norms, if you will, um, with diminished ovarian reserve, as evidenced by the ultrasonography as well as blood work, namely the hormone test called the AMH. We recognize that, um, you know, one can diagnose uh, diminishing ovarian reserve in young people, as we see virtually every day here. Um, and it, it, it's we see it in young people so much because we're looking for it, and there's not necessarily this cutoff value. In other words, this this is one of the big problems that if you have a patient who's 32 years old and they have uh, a follicle count by ultrasonography that is, say, 12 or 14, well, that's low for a patient who's 32 years old. That's below average. Now, you may not say that's below the fifth percentile. That's true where it would be, quote, significant, uh, according to many f medical people, that, oh, well, oh, gosh, 12 or follicles or so, that's not significant. Well, it, it indeed, in someone who's 32 years old, is significant. So it, it has to be related to the age of the individual. And someone who's 40 years old, 12 follicles would be great. That's a, above average, practically. And I think this is just where there's these age-related norms that you have to keep in mind. And it's not necessarily this idea of a cutoff value, which is really a problem that we used to think in the past that was the case. But now we recognize that there's uh, these age-related norms that are important to understand. So is there anything that uh, young women, especially those that, you know, I think most women understand that there's a biological yeah. clock. Right. and that over time they're going to see their fertility potential drop. But is there really anything that the younger individuals can do so that they know where they're standing with regards to the potential for having DOR? Absolutely. I mean, I think I've just been an advocate of assessing ovarian reserve uh, hormonally speaking. It's a simple blood test with that AMH that I talked about. And looking at where the person falls on the bell curve for their particular results. So, for example, in patients in the early 30s, the average AMH 50th percentile might be 3. 
3.0. Well, if a person's 32 years old and has an AMH of uh, 1, uh, that that is is above the fifth percentile, but well below the fiftieth percentile. So again, that's highly relevant to that particular patient to uh, pursue that uh, further by looking at the number of follicles and having a discussion about what does this mean for that person and their current and more importantly their future fertility. So it doesn't necessarily indicate a low AMH, for example, meaning below the 50th percentile for any given age group, doesn't necessarily mean that they have diminished reserve and need to be freaking out about it uh, at this point in time, but they need to recognize that this has an impact on future fertility. So if they're 32 years old and have an AMH that's in the 10th percentile, then you can predict quite accurately that at some point in the future they're going to be a lot lower. It doesn't go up. It goes down over time. So by age 35, this patient may be in full-blown diminished reserve, premenopause, whatever you want to say. And I think that's a relevant, important conversation to have with a medical professional to understand how these things impact your current and future fertility. I mean, we have uh, one of my uh, interests is really to uh, have all patients get a, an AMH level done whenever they get blood tests you know, starting at age 28 or 30 even, so that they can understand what this means to their current and future fertility and really have some idea of how this may affect them going forward. I mean, we check the blood count and vitamin D levels and and TSH, which is a thyroid test. We check that all the time, but nobody ever checks an AMH. What the heck? I mean, when you're getting blood work done, just throw in the AMH and open a discussion about it. That's what I think is so critical, is really just being having the opportunity to help patients understand what it means. Because too often we see patients who, um, you know, the cat's out of the bag, so to speak, when they're 35 years old and they have diminished ovarian reserve. It didn't happen overnight. This is something that started when they were 30 and was easily diagnosable by understanding where they were at that time. So hopefully that makes sense. That's a lot of stuff. Is, that, is AMH a test that their family practitioner can request or their nurse practitioner or even their OBGYN? Absolutely. I mean, this is a test that can be uh, tossed in, so to speak, with any other lab tests that you're getting. It just has to be ordered, and it's nothing specialized anymore. It used to be something that was a little bit different, but now, gosh, every lab can do this, and it just has to be ordered, and, and uh, I just I can't impress upon patients enough to at least get it checked and understand um, what it means. That's what's key. Don't just accept the idea that, oh, it's good. They need to know the number relative uh, to their specific age group norms, and then they can interpret it and use that information for their own fertility interests. I think that's just critical. So, ladies, it sounds like uh, you need to make sure that if you have a future interest in uh, becoming pregnant and you're a younger age, you're going to want to ask your physician when they're drawing blood if they're drawing an AMH is what that sounds like to me. Dr. Allering, if someone becomes diagnosed or is told it looks like they have early signs of diminished ovarian reserve or signs of diminished ovarian reserve, whether it be from an ultrasound or the blood work, what steps should they be taking at that point? Uh, well, that that's that's a tough one, <laughs> just because there's a lot of different options that patients have. I think really just being armed with the knowledge of what this means, and then they can take that information and apply it to their own personal interests. So if I have a couple that, gosh, it looks like uh, this this young lady is 
um, below average on ovarian reserve, then uh, I don't want to necessarily uh, suggest that, gosh, you better get a baby, uh, you know, next year or you're going to be in trouble sort of idea. I don't want to, you know, strike the fear uh, into them in that sense. But I think it's more just understanding rationally what it means and how they can take that information and apply it to their own personal situation and their own personal interests. But at least it gets them thinking about their fertility and their f- future fertility interests. You know, again, that's what we see so often is that patients uh, of any age that are diagnosed with diminished ovarian reserve, the first thing that comes out of their mouth practically is, uh, if I only would have known this, if I only would have understood this, what what this means, I would have done things differently. That's, in my mind, a tragedy and uh, because it has such a huge impact on the probability of conception and has a, such a huge impact on the the treatment options for them um, as well as costs and all these other things that go along with it. I mean, just understanding what it means so that they can apply that knowledge to their own personal circumstances really what's the key. We don't want to have these patients be in a position where they're having this regret of, oh, I just would have known I would have, you know, been more proactive in my uh, uh, fertility and building a family. That's just a tough one. So um, that's really what we're interested in is just arming them with the information more than anything. If it's a young lady that's been diagnosed or shows signs of DOR, is there any way that they can stop the biological clock? Maybe they're not ready to have children for several years. Is there anything they can do in the meantime? You know, this is a big problem is uh, the the misperception, again, that living healthy or eating right, exercising, you know, all those things are great. And and, uh, for the overall big picture of health, that's important. But there's, to our knowledge, none of that actually staves off uh, the process of diminishing ovarian reserve. And, you know, I think that makes sense. You know, we don't understand why this stuff happens. It's genetic, it's environmental, it's both. But we don't have any idea. And when you don't know exactly what the cause of these problems is, then you don't know how to stop it. And that said, you know, uh, we encourage everybody to live right, eat right, and do all those great things. But it's not a substitute to think that diminished ovarian reserve can't affect you. I'm just telling you, I see it every day. And it's just too easy not to do to get this simple screening blood test and have a conversation. I mean, it just is critical. Um, so I think that answered your question, <laughs> so hopefully. And if I'm a couple that is ready to proceed on trying to become pregnant. We've had some difficulties. We've been diagnosed with diminished ovarian reserve. What would you recommend in most cases as a a particular treatment, or is there a particular treatment that works best? Well, I mean, um, really there is no particular treatment in in some sense. You have to assess the degree of the diminished reserve. So, you know, there can be anything from, um, you know, really serious diminished ovarian reserve where there's one or two follicles and that's really nearing the menopause end of the spectrum. And then there's patients who are in the early stages, as you described earlier. You have to take those things into consideration, the patient's age, the couple's age, really. Uh, Are there other factors like male things and all that? All of that stuff's going to factor into how aggressively you treat this. I mean, in the end, there's really two treatment categories. One is medications and uh, ovulation induction with intrauterine insemination. That's one option to potentially accelerate the probability of pregnancy. 
uh, and there's several different ways to go about that um, process in that particular category. The second category of treatments, of course, is in vitro and, and, and for significant ovarian reserve uh, depletion, uh, IVF tends to be the treatment of choice, especially if there's coexistent uh, advanced age, meaning over the age of 35. If, uh, so you have to assess all these factors and really have a discussion with the couple to try to decide what is, uh, is going to be the best way to go, depending upon their interests, how many children do they want, when do they want to have children, all of these things. You know, it, it even brings up the topic of, um, uh, of uh, fertility preservation in the sense of preserving eggs. I mean, I see quite often single uh, women of, of varying ages, 30 years old to 38 years old or older, who are interested in preserving their eggs, uh, freezing eggs, if you will, um, for future use. And, uh, of course, freezing eggs uh, at a younger age is always better. Again, another reason that young patients you know, may be interested in, uh, in getting this evaluation because, it, again, it just has implications on their future. And, uh, you know, we see patients who are 32 years old, for example, that, that ha- have a diminishing ovarian reserve as evidenced by the blood tests and ultrasound, and they say, look, I don't want to have a baby until I'm 36 or 37. And I say, well, you, you know, you may be menopausal by that time based upon what we know and what we see here with your particular situation. And they say, well, gosh, maybe I'll want to preserve eggs now. And, and that's a whole other conversation. So it really opens up a, a huge uh, discussion about lots of different things and how these patients uh, may want to think about this. But it's just it starts with such a simple test and assessment and understanding the implications that all this has on a person's life. It's really uh, can be pretty dramatic. Well, Dr. Allering, it's always a pleasure to have you with us. You're always insightful. We appreciate your time. If you're a young lady or even a lady of a more advanced age and you're concerned about the possibility that you might have diminished ovarian reserve, you want to definitely speak with uh, your your physician and have that uh, AMH t- test, as Dr. Allering was suggesting. You can also if you have questions for Dr. Allering, email him directly at pallering at mcrmfertility.com. And with that, uh, we appreciate your time. Yes, thank you so much, and I, I encourage you to get this looked at, and please contact me if uh, I can be of any help and advice. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Dale. If you've been trying to start your own family and haven't had success, you're not alone. Millions of people just like you are experiencing the same very personal and painful frustration. Infertility affects men and women equally. The Missouri Center for Reproductive Medicine, MCRM Fertility, can help. MCRM accepts most insurance and you don't need a referral. They offer the most advanced science and technology, including exclusive techniques and the embryoscope. Check them out at mcrmfertility.com. That concludes today's episode of Focus on Fertility. We do appreciate Dr. Peter Allering of MCRM Fertility for having joined us today. Be sure to follow us for future podcasts containing important topics that will assist you along your fertility journey. If you do have questions related to today's podcast or would like to hear a specific topic discussed, please simply email me at questions at focusonfertility.net and to listen to previous episodes of Focus on Fertility, please visit us on the web at focusonfertility.net.